My grandfather served in World War II. Spending time with him were the best memories of my life. I became a physician at VA because of my grandfather, so I can help others like him. I can't imagine working with better doctors or a more dedicated staff. I'm fulfilling my life's mission with the help of my team and thanks to these veterans. I'm proud to be a doctor at VA and proud to honor my grandfather every day. Search VA Careers to find out more. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of This Week at VA. I'm your host, Timothy Lawson. I hope everyone had a nice and memorable holiday weekend. I know Memorial Day can be difficult for the veteran community as we honor and remember those that we've lost, but it's also a day of gratitude as we remain mindful of the liberties we enjoy thanks to those that paid the ultimate sacrifice. This past Sunday, I hung around the Pentagon and National Mall to cover one of DC's most popular demonstrations, Rolling Thunder. Hundreds of thousands of people came into the area to support the demonstration that reminds us that we are responsible and accountable for prisoners of war and those still missing in action. Many came out to support the cause, others came out to ride in honor of fallen comrades, and everyone is there to support each other. Secretary Shulkin participated in the ride. He had this to say about the event. There's nothing like this. It's fantastic. And what an honor to be here to be able to give our appreciation and remember those who have served in our great country and you'll be riding down to the the i'm riding i'm riding couldn't keep me off my harley i also caught up with andres m martone an army veteran who was riding in honor of two fallen friends i'm actually riding today for two people that were killed in action when i was in um, kuwait in the tents in kuwait and that's major greg stone and captain chris cypher i wear his bracelet uh, at all times but i'm riding for them particularly today This week's feature interview is with Army veteran Henry Huntley. Henry and I work together in the Office of Public Affairs at VA Central Office. He has served a long, decorated career in the Army and is going to talk to us about his time in, his transition, his career at VA, and much more. Enjoy. Henry Huntley, uh, Army veteran. You and I have worked together for just over a year now. Uh, at least in the same office uh, area. And um, I feel like every time you and I have a conversation, uh, I, my respect for you grows just, just, a, just a little bit more. Uh, and so it's, it's an honor to, to sit down with you and, and, and feature you on the VA podcast. Well, Tim, I, uh, I appreciate that. I mean, you know, we do have many conversations, yeah. uh, some uh, more exciting than others. Uh, but for every conversation that we have, uh, we try to make that not only a, a mentor-mentee kind of uh, relationship, but we find ourselves learning from each other based on our experiences. Uh, but more importantly, for every conversation we've had, uh, I believe that they have been open and honest uh, as far as the dialogue, and uh, it, it put us both in a better place. Yeah. So having said that, uh, I'm honored to be here today. Uh, I don't know exactly what you're going to ask me, uh, <laughs> but I'm looking forward to uh, uh, the challenge of trying to answer your questions. Yeah, well, it's uh, the the first few questions I think are pretty straightforward. Um, the the one thing all of my guests have in common is they decided to serve the United States military, and that that sent that service starts with a single decision to join. 
Um, bring us back to that day for you when, when Henry Hunley decided, yep, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to join the United States Army. Okay. Well, it was not always the case that Henry Huntley wanted to join the Army. Uh, as a kid growing up in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, in the inner cities, um, my father uh, was drafted uh, and served in Vietnam. And of course, we know that Vietnam uh, lasted for quite a bit of time. And it was a war where a lot of the effects uh, were noticed in the inner cities. Uh, and for me in the African-American community, because I lived in a segregated area of the South, uh, those who were going into the military all looked like me. And of course, uh, and when you started seeing neighbors and, and friends of family members, and of course family members, either come back uh, with injuries or, and some who came back uh, in worse cases than that, uh, it made you it made you think about uh, whether or not you want to be a part of this thing called the military. So uh, fast forward to my days in high school, uh, it was mandatory that all kids joined ROTC, uh, the young ladies and the young men. And when I joined ROTC, I had this uh, gentleman who was a Korean War veteran by the name of Sergeant First Class Burrell. He was the uh, Army ROTC instructor. And we, of course, we had Lieutenant Colonel Dabb uh, who was the uh, director uh, of instruction uh, for ROTC at my school, uh, which was Hoke Smith High School in Atlanta, Georgia. And those two gentlemen who came from a different size of the, the tracks, as we call it, Colonel Dabb was a white man who grew up in the South, and, uh, and of course uh, uh, he understood the ways of the South. Uh, but he was not uh, the typical person of the South, so to speak. Uh, and Sergeant First Class Burrell, uh, a black man who served in Korea, uh, was someone who was probably one of the most ethical persons I've ever met. And he lived with an ethos that, of course, we live with today in our army. Uh, he always made sure that we understood the reasons why we were in high school ROTC not just to wear this good-looking uniform, uh, but to continue our process of learning. Uh, but more importantly, he made us understand that being in junior ROTC was about citizenship. He wanted to make us better, better citizens, uh, not only for this nation, but more importantly for our communities, but make us better people. Because many of us who wore the uniform of ROTC uh, in high school and in the community to which I grew up, we grew up without fathers uh, in our household. And so we did not necessarily have that, uh, that, that male figure who we could look up to. So he became a surrogate uh, for many of us. Uh, and he was very, very, uh, he was very strict. He was a disciplinarian, uh, but he was a very caring man. Uh, so I joined ROTC in high school. I stayed there, I enjoyed it. We became a uh, gold star program, matter of fact. And so, uh, you again, you fast forward from there and you go on to college. Uh, I went on to Kentucky State University uh, in Frankfort, uh, Kentucky. Had not decided to join ROTC in college. Uh, one day, some friends of mine, uh, because I was, you know, I was involved with baseball uh, in college and uh, and I was also involved with the band. 
And so we walked around campus and we just happened to see this group of kids uh, over to uh, uh, the side of the administration building and they were trying to do drill and ceremony. And of course, having been in high school ROTC, uh, I knew you know, the FM 22-5 like the back of my hand, which is the manual uh, for a drill and ceremony uh, for our United States Army. And so Sergeant Garcia, who was the uh, instructor uh, for the university at the time, he, he looked, at it, looked up and he saw his kids, you know, just kind of watching him and shaking our heads. And he asked, well, what do you think? He said, uh, do you think uh, the kids look good? And I said, no, I think they, I think they look horrible. <laughs> but again, I was a 17-year-old yeah. uh, in college. And so uh, he said, well, if you, if you think you can do better, why don't you come down here and show us? Again, having some high school ROTC experience, I went down there and, and I gave the kids a few tips about, uh, you know, uh, you know, drill and ceremony. And so, uh, so we kind of put it into action. And so the kids caught on right away. He said, wow, that's pretty good. He said, why don't you join uh, ROTC? And I was like, no, I don't want to join ROTC. Why should I? You know, I'm in the band in college and I play baseball in college. I got everything that I need. And so he said a few choice words and, and basically said, yeah, you're just like a lot of other kids out there. You, uh, you talk a lot, but you can't back it up. And so for a 17-year-old, uh, he basically challenged my 17-year-old manhood, so to speak. Uh, and so I told him, I said, uh, okay, you, you want to challenge me? I'll take you up on that challenge. I'll join your ROTC. He said, well, you know, we have this ROTC basic training program that's going on at Fort Knox uh, this summer. Uh, would you like to join? And I said, sure. And I know this is long, but hopefully you can bear with me for mm -hmm. a little bit. Sure. And so I said, yeah, I'll go to that. I'll go to your basic training. And I tell you what, I'll, I'll, I'll do great in your basic training. And uh, he said, okay, well, would you like to, you know, come up to my office and sign the papers? I said, sure, I'll go sign your papers. And I went on up. He threw the papers out to me. He said, do I want to read them? I said, no, I don't want to read them. I'll just sign them. <laughs> He said, are you sure? I said, yes, sir. And I signed the papers and, and I walked on out. Again, remembering that the sergeant had pulled a Jedi mind trick on me because he basically challenged my manhood. And, and again, as a 17-year-old, I didn't have the composure that I needed. Uh, but once I got to the library that evening, I thought about the decisions that I had made. And I, I called my mom that night and I said, Mom, I think I joined the Army. <laughs> and she said, what? I said, yes, ma'am, uh, and I didn't tell her the reasons, and I, tell, I didn't tell her why, mm -hmm. uh, and, and that I didn't read the paperwork before I signed it. Uh, but to the goodness of my mom, you know, I asked her, I said, how do I get out of this? And what my mom said is, well, she said, did you look the man in the eye? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, did you shake his hand? and give him your word. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, well, then you don't get out of it. She said, you have to honor your commitment. And so that was the start of my military career hmm. through ROTC. Yeah. And it was not just the sergeant uh, who pulled the Jedi mind trick on me, uh, but it was my mom who said that you have to own up to your commitment. And I think from that conversation that I had with my mom, 
it made my decision to go to basic training a lot easier. And when I went there, I earned a scholarship of OTC. I didn't accept the scholarship because I was, like I say, I was already in the band and, and I was on the baseball team, and so I had scholarships. But it allowed me an opportunity to get with a bunch of wonderful students who were also in ROTC, who quite frankly were like-minded and maybe not the best students in the world, uh, maybe not the fastest or the smartest, but they were all high achievers because they had a great drive and a great attitude about not only school uh, in ROTC, but life. And I think that is what, that has uh, helped me over the years. Yeah. And it was somewhat intuitive to me as a member of an athletic uh, organization or, or team uh, that for every achievement you make, it's not about you, but it's about the team. And what better way to transition that into a role as a soldier? Because as a baseball team, although you're one and nine on the field, uh, it's still about the team. You can have all the greatest individual stats in the world, but if those stats don't connect to what everybody else is doing, then you don't get the wins. And the same thing in the Army. You can't be an individual soldier. Um, you can be the best that you can be, and you can be the best and brightest, but the best and brightest still has to connect with something else or somebody. Uh, so as with that old Irish proverb, you look for something every day that is a lot larger than you. And I think that's what a military has done for me over those years. It has forced me uh, to seek something greater than me. Uh, it's about altruism, having an unselfish concern for the welfare of others, and ensuring that everything that you do affects positively those who are on your left and right, and those who are ahead of you, and those who are behind you. And so that's been a part of my career and my makeup. And for 31 years and two months, that's what I tried to do uh, as a soldier. So I don't, I apologize for uh, the, imp what this is gonna, or I apologize for making you sound old, but just to put, the, put what you just said in perspective, you were in the Army for, you said 31 years and two months? Yes. I have been alive for just seven months longer than that. Eight months longer than that. Well, yes, I think uh, <laughs> what you just said uh, it does make me feel kind of old. Yeah, but, but it's I, it's to <laughs> it's to really put that because we hear the twenty to thirty years of service, and I think it's difficult to really. I think once people pass the ten fifteen mark, it just sort of all seems like fifteen twenty thirty. They're just long. That's a huge chunk of time. I mean, your your greater adult life, starting at eighteen, has been in the military, and um, you know by the, you know even as old as as you may get, it'll still be the like probably the most significant percentage of time in your life. And I think um, that's what makes the that's what makes being a veteran so significant. Is uh, it it it. It's just who you are for the part of your life where you're making your own decisions. Yeah. Even though the military makes most of those decisions for you once you're in. Yeah. What position did you play? You seem like a center fielder to me. I was an outfielder. Okay. Um, mostly in right field because I had a pretty strong arm. Yeah. Uh, and I was a lefty. And Shooting so, out people uh, at, at third base? There you go. There you go. <laughs> I, I like uh, that. I enjoyed a lot of that. Good. Um, 
I will tell you, you know, having spent uh, a lengthy time in the military, as you stated, uh, <laughs> what is it, seven years, uh, I mean, seven months between you and my career. Yeah. Uh, but it's, it didn't really seem that long. Yeah. And, and the reason that it didn't seem that long is because if you're doing this the right way, and when I say doing this the right way, being accepting of many of the things that the military brings to you, you know, discipline, uh, and quite frankly, security and opportunities, uh, whether they be career or whether there be um, uh, other opportunities as it relates to family, uh, you find yourself with a lot of wealth yeah. out there that a lot of others uh, who live beyond the walls of a military installation don't necessarily have. And so when you have that type of security, it brings you happiness. Uh, but even more important, uh, those 31 years, I found myself in assignments, no matter where the Army has ever sent me, because as we always say, home is where the Army sends you. Yeah. I found myself with great leaders, uh, great teammates, uh, and great soldiers, uh, and civilians, and, and even Department of the Army contractors, who I was able to learn from, uh, to be able to serve with, whether in combat or whether in peace or whether in Europe and Africa and other places around the world, um, you always made a friend. Uh, you always had an acquaintance. You always had a connection uh, to somebody uh, to not only help you be successful in your military endeavors, but uh, somebody who you could always talk to when yeah. times were uh, either different or times were tough. Uh, because we all face challenges, uh, but it's what we do with those challenges. I, I, I never say we have problems in the military. I say we have challenges. Uh, and I know that's a play on words, yeah. but the realities are we are challenged. Uh, we're not problemed. We're challenged in the military by what we do and, 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 and sometimes what our leaders ask of us. Uh, but we always seem to work our way through those challenges, uh, whether it's you know, in, you know, the doughboys of uh, World War I or the greatest generation in World War II. And we never forget Korea, at least we should never forget Korea and Vietnam. Uh, whom the nation has began to do the right thing by embracing those soldiers uh, who served so gallantly, uh, uh, with gallantry rather, and, uh, and, 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 and with such valiant service uh, there and the wars beyond that into our current wars that we're, we're dealing with in uh, Afghanistan and Iraq and many other places around the world. The one thing that is common uh, is the ethos that we all live by, whether it be the Army, the Navy, the Air Force, the Marine uh, Corps, and uh, the Coast Guard. Uh, we all have an ethos. Uh, but what more importantly to us all is we all put country, we put country before self. And I know that sounds corny, but that's what it's all about. Uh, we live in the greatest country on the face of the earth. 
Uh, and when you talk about the United States, it's not this thing, it's, uh, you know, it is an idea that became a reality. Uh, I mean, you look at all the many faces in this country. Uh, nobody looks the same, but we all look to the USA. Uh, those, those three letters, and it's, it's so amazing. When you, yeah. hear, when you hear the chant, USA, USA, it's nothing like anything in the whole world. Everybody around the world want to say USA, whether they like us, whether they dislike us. I mean, people want to say USA. Yeah. And the forces that we have uh, in our military are better than any ever assembled in the history of man and womankind uh, in the history of warfare. Nobody can compete with us. Um, the only thing that can take us down is ourselves. Yeah. And it's amazing and it's so wonderful that, you know, what our founding fathers did is uh, with the Constitution and the structure of our government, it's put together so many checks and balances out there that we don't fear those kind of things because of the way that we're structured and the great vision that our forefathers had. Now, it's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination, but there's nothing that can compare to what we have. Nothing. And that's what makes us so great. Absolutely. And that's why, uh, you know, I serve proudly uh, for those 31 years and two months. Uh, you know, that, and it, I will tell you, it was, it was fun every day to put the uniform on. And I will tell you to this day, I can still wear my uniform, <laughs> all of them. Good. Uh, but, uh, and I think that's what you find with the majority of our, our troops out yeah. there. That's why they serve. When somebody hits us, then we want to hit back. But when we hit back, we don't just hit back the same way that they hit us. We want to hit you harder mm -hmm. uh, because that's, that's who we are. I mean, we may be this country that's, full of high-tech things, but the realities are we're just a, you know, we're just a salt-of-the-earth kind of people. Uh, and what makes us great is the grassroots that we, that we're a part of. Yeah. Uh, whether it be in Georgia, my home state, or whether it be in Indiana, or whether it be in California, or whether it be in New York. You know, we may sound different, but the realities are we're all the same. So what, what year did you retire? I retired in September of 2014. Okay. Mm -hmm. um, and did you come over to VA soon after? I didn't come right away. Right. Uh, I, spent a, I spent a few months. Yeah. Uh, uh, but was just, VA your first step into uh, a I new did career? Some, I did some advising okay. uh, for about seven months and decided that, you know, there are certain organizations and certain businesses uh, who do great work. Uh, and who do great things uh, for others. Uh, but the realities are they don't have the same ethos that we develop in the, in the military. Uh, I, which is rarely something that I say, meaning I, uh, but when you look at what we've done for so many years, uh, it has never been about how much money I can make uh, because we know that with some of the talents and some of the skill sets that we've been given in this military, we can go out and we can do a lot of wonderful things and, and gain a lot of wealth, but that's not what it's about. It's about continuing to make sure that we 
we take care of people. That's why I use the word altruism. Uh, because that keeps me grounded, having an unselfish concern for the welfare of others. And what better place than the VA to bring what talents that you've gained over the years and those abilities that you've gained over the years, um, the ability not only lead, but the abilities to follow. Uh, we all know that in order to be a great leader, or a good leader even, you have to be a great follower. Absolutely. And uh, until we learn to understand that, um, that will hold us back. That's, uh, that's something that uh, when veterans are, are asking me for resume advice, I always tell them, put, put how well you follow on there. Yeah. Every other veteran going into that interview is going to talk about how great of a leader they are. Yes. But the company does, may not need to hire a new leader, mm -hmm. but they absolutely need to hire someone that can follow and yeah. then lead from that position. Yes. Um, so it's, I like that you point that out, that, that, that you know, we make great followers and it's important to emphasize that. Mm -hmm. And we also, you know, when we talk about leadership, uh, I always say there's two types of leadership. There's nothing in the middle. Leadership is not gray. You're either a good leader or you're a bad leader. Yeah. Uh, but the realities are we can learn from both. We can learn the wonderful things that leaders do, but we can also learn from those leaders the things that we do not disagree, I mean, we do not agree with, and we don't think uh, are the right things for our masses. So you can learn anything from a leader. Uh, but the key piece for us is that we have to understand the differences between leadership and management. You know, yeah. when people say that he's a great manager, what do you mean by he's a great manager? Uh, I always tell people that, and some people will disagree with me, I don't care, but that's the way I feel. You lead people, you manage things, you manage programs, you manage equipment, you manage books. It's hard to manage people. You lead people because people look at you as the person at the pinnacle and they either want to emulate you or they would say, well, I don't really like the way that person is taking this organization or they're even moving me. Uh, so you always, as a leader, you have to be on your guard. You have to be on your best behavior because people watch you all the time, whether it's in front of you or whether it's in the evenings or whether it's at night. Uh, you as a leader, you always have to be on your guard because people watch you no matter where you are. Whether you're the ambassador in your communities, uh, whether you're the, the advocates uh, within your organization, people watch you as a leader. Yeah. What, when you transitioned out, when you retired, um, you know, a lot of veterans face some sort of emotional challenge, emotional crisis after, shortly after their uh, their service. Did you experience anything like that in being able to emotionally transition from your military life? I think we all experience something. It's just to the level uh, of that emotional anxiety or emotional anxiety or uh, and some people even hit a pitfall uh, of depression. Because when you spend 10, well, heck, four years of your life in uniform, uh, 10 years of your lives, 20 or 30 years of your lives in, uh, in uniform, you've had so many things laid out for you. You've had the uniforms laid out for you. Uh, you've had uh, a schedule 
laid out for you. Uh, your PT, your, your, your hospital assignments, meaning your physicals. Somebody's always there to tell you something. Although you may be a leader giving orders and directing certain things, you have found yourself in a way uh, that is so secure for those years that you served in uniform. You know, you harken back to what I said about the security of the behind the walls of the military installation. Uh, you can probably ask the, a, a great percentage of soldiers, sailors, airmen, uh, uh, Marines, uh, and Coast Guard men and women uh, about where they live. Many of them have lived on, you know, on military installations or bases. And for the first time in their years, uh, moving to a place off a military installation sometimes comes when they retire or when they leave the services. Yeah. That's a scary thought. I mean, you have a steady income, that's a scary thought. Uh, you have great medical benefits, that's a scary thought. And so when you have these, these tough injuries that you may have sustained during your military career, you wonder, how am I going to deal with this? Do I necessarily fit into what's going on in society now? Do I have the right skill set? Uh, am I able to do those things that I talked about wanting to do along the way when I was serving? Uh, I want, you know, I want to be this great um, I don't know, I want to be this great construction guy. Uh, will there be construction jobs for me when I leave the military? Those are the kind of things that we, we don't know. Now, granted, we seek those things, uh, but until we actually land something, it's, it's pretty emotional. Uh, and it can be nerve-wracking because it's not about you most times anymore. You're hearing many, many times you have a family with you who's used to a certain standard of life. And so at a minimum, you want to maintain that standard of life for your family. Uh, and, and, and if you can't right away, it, it, causes, it causes high anxiety, not just for you, but for those who you love as well. Yeah. And so, yeah, we all feel uh, some anxiety. Uh, and, and some people even go into a funk yeah. uh, and depression. Uh, but luckily for us, um, our military uh, has advanced along the way uh, from the time that I came into the military. Our, our leaders, uh, I guess, you know, got together and said, hey, look, we have to do better for those who are leaving our ranks. Uh, we can't just send them on their way. And, and then it's over. We gotta prepare them for life. You know, thus you have organizations like, you know, the transition programs and TAPS and a host of others who we deal with on a, on a basis, uh, daily basis. You have training, uh, you know, we're meeting with all types of advocates out there. You got programs like Marines for Life and Soldier for Life and so on and so on that uh, allows us to go to these various classes as we are basically a year out from retirement uh, and getting us in the proper frame of, of reference and frame of mind to do these things. Resume writing, 
uh, interview preps, uh, you know, making sure that you're getting the right to uh, the medical procedures done before you leave, linking you to the VA uh, uh, so that you'll know what the VA will do for you or can do for you once you earn the title veteran. Uh, and so it helps with the transitioning. Now it's not perfect, but it's a heck of a lot better uh, than the days of my father and my grandfather and, and many others like that. Uh, we can now see a corridor uh, from the uniform uh, to the suit. Yeah. Uh, you know, as many would often say, going from green to gray. Uh, so it's a lot better. It's not perfect, um, but we're doing a lot better throughout all of our services. Yeah. Uh, because, again, it's about people. Uh, we can no longer, uh, or we should no longer, let's put it that way, uh, have our, you know, men and women who serve in uniform uh, do all of these wonderful and noble things uh, on behalf of the nation and then we send them on their way with a, a departing award uh, and then say see ya, mm -hmm. you're on your own. There's got to be a transition. Yeah. And when we say soldiers for life, uh, Marines for life, uh, that means we're connected. We're connected to something larger than us. And what better place to be connected uh, once you leave the uniform than to the VA? Yeah. So let's, um, I want to spend the last uh, little while here talking about working here at VA. Um, because I think, um, you know, since I've been here, there has been um, from leadership and on the marketing a strong um, request from the public to consider working at VA. And one thing that I noticed right away when I got here was veterans sort of, not demanding, but like asking for more, to see more veterans inside of working for VA. Um, our office benefits from having a large percentage of veterans here. Mm -hmm. And one thing I think is really special about it is you're a retired Brigadier General I got out as a sergeant and we have everything in between um, from people's experience in the military. So we have junior enlisted all the way to high-ranking officers all working in the same capacity for the same mission. Um, can you just speak to that in what you've experienced here? And we're, we're in communications, we're in a little bit different of a sector than what people see at VA and like in medical centers and stuff like that. But um, I think that the, you know, the mission's the same and the, the purpose is the same. Um, so can you just speak to your time here and um, just your experience in working with a diverse group of both veterans and non-veterans? Okay. Well, I will tell you, uh, there is a, uh, a great um, uh, group of folks uh, who work in VA. Of course, we're 300,000 strong yeah. across the whole spectrum of VA. But what I, th what I think makes us strongest is that uh, it's not just those who wore the uniform here. Uh, those who are civilians who have never worn the uniform, uh, they bring something uh, that's 
really special here uh, that's able to meld into what we bring uh, to this organization from those who wore the uniform. You need that. You need the diversity. Exactly. Uh, you don't always need that one thought, you know, that, that one mind uh, attitude, so to speak. And I know I'm not saying this very well, but I would say that those who have worn a uniform, we have a way of operating or we have a way that we've been taught to operate and we see things a certain way. And sometimes we could fall into the, uh, the habits of having blinders on and just going with a military decision-making process throughout the whole shebang, so to speak, if I can use that vernacular. Uh, but when you bring our civilian uh, partners uh, to an organization like this, and again, um, those partners come from a different, let's say a different view or a different location sometimes. And what I mean by that is they see things a little bit different. Uh, I'm not saying the way that they see it is either right or wrong. I just see it sometimes as different. But when you bring both sides together and you meld that, it makes us something greater. I look at it as, as we, we, you know, it's, it's, it's like the, the old cars that now are hybrid. You know, I look at hybrid. Hybrid is good. You know, anytime you can bring a little bit of this and a little bit of that, you know, some people would call it a mutt, but you know what? The mud is strong. Yeah. And, and, and we bring different, we're doing different attitudes, we bring uh, different cultures, we bring different ideas, we bring different ways of doing things, and uh, we even bring different languages into the location. But that doesn't necessarily make it bad. It just sometimes makes us have to work a little bit harder to, to understand. Uh, but at the end of the day, it makes us better. Mm -hmm. uh, and oh, by the way, uh, you know, when you bring civilians into the mix, uh, it allows them to teach us something different. Absolutely. Because we are so regimented in our ways in the military um, that sometimes they teach us how to relax. Sometimes they teach us how to look at things from a different lens. And we do the same uh, on the flip side. Uh, because we bring a certain amount of discipline. Uh, we bring a certain amount of decorum. Uh, we bring a certain amount of respect. Uh, whether you know me or not in the uniform uh, or out of the uniform, you may not respect me, but you respect the uniform. You respect the institution. And oh, by the way, we're all here for the same purpose. It's to help those veterans who need assistance. Yeah. Um, you know, the great thing about it is, you know, for everybody who's in this building, whether it be VA Central Office or whether it be VBA, VHA, or whether it be the uh, NCA, and I'm sorry I'm using a lot of alphabet soup here, uh, but we all have the same mission is that to make life better for veterans, the caregivers and the family members, you know, and, and with this secretary, uh, and of course, as with others, uh, we've tried to make sure that Accountability is the number one thing here. And, and this secretary who uh, is working very, very hard every day uh, to make sure that people understand that we are accountable uh, for what we do and we want to make sure people know that. And with accountability, it helps us become better. Uh, but you can't just have accountability from those who are in uniform. You've got to have accountability for everybody. Yeah. And that's what we do. And once that happens, it makes us all better.
I agree. It makes us all better. Henry, you and I could sit here and talk for hours. Yeah. Um, yeah. We have almost fallen into that trap a number of times when we talk in the hallway. Of, oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. We missed a lot of lunch, haven't we? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, but I appreciate you. I know you had a um, you had a busy morning, and I appreciate you uh, finding time to sit down and talk to me. And I'm I'm sure you and I will will continue this conversation uh, at a later date. And it, uh, the veteran community is a very important one, and, and I know that you and I both have a strong interest in it. Um, so I look forward to continuing our professional relationship and, and continuing this conversation. Well, I'll tell you what, Tim. Again, you know I. I enjoy every time we get a chance to sit around and talk, uh, whether it's recorded or not. Uh, uh, but again, what we do here uh, with uh, Veteran Affairs is so important. And it's, it's not just about the, the nine or you know, the, the 20 million veterans uh, that are currently on our rolls, but the nine million that are actively on our rolls there. It's about taking care of those veterans and their needs uh, because, one, they have earned those, uh, uh, those benefits uh, that they so rightly uh, have. But it's about the 360 or the 370 million people that make up this nation because for every time we don't do right by a veteran, there's somebody in this country who will look at us and say, I really don't know if I want to be a veteran if you're not going to take care of my uncle, my aunt, my mother, or my father, or my brother, or my sister. So as challenging as it may be, we should never, ever give up that opportunity to fix a challenge that we have out there because it's, it's more than about just the population of VA. It's about the population of a nation because the whole nation watches us every day. And I will tell you, 99% of the time, I would like to think, and it's even higher, that we're doing the right things. But if we don't take on those little challenges, then for all of the good that we're doing, a lot of people won't see it. I served in Vietnam. I was waiting for him back home. When I left the military, I never even went to VA. But now he's 63 and he's got a few health issues. Maybe it's time to see what VA can do for us. I'm ready to give it a go. See what VA can do for you. To learn what benefits you may be eligible for, visit www.va.gov. That's www.va.gov. As you can hear in the interview, Henry and I both are fulfilled in our careers at VA and are uh, excited to be able to serve veterans in this mission. If a career at VA is something that interests you, visit vacareers.va.gov and you can also follow them on Twitter at VA Careers. Today's veteran of the day is Marine veteran Philip Clark. Philip shipped off to boot camp right after high school and then was deployed to Afghanistan in 2009. He died by IED explosion while serving in Helmand Province. We honor Philip's service. To read his full write-up and to nominate your own Veteran of the Day, go to blogs.va.gov. That wraps up episode 33. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen. If this is your first time, please subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts, whether that's iTunes, Stitcher, or elsewhere. Be sure to find more stories from our community by visiting us at facebook.com slash veteransaffairs. 
I'm Timothy Lawson, signing off.